0: One week season. What is going on? One week season, fam. Welcome to the week 13 edition of the OWS Angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. As always, throw this baby on 1.5x speed and let's get started. Let's get started with the final third of the season. And I say that and say it like that because... We tend to put so much energy into the first few weeks of the season as DFS players, as fantasy enthusiasts. And, you know, keeping in mind that those of us who play season long or those of you who play season long, we're nearing the playoffs in season long. And and if you had a bad season, your season's basically over at this point. And so combining all of those things together... We reach these last six weeks, what's now basically a season that's cut into thirds. We reach these last six weeks and it can feel like the the season's basically over. It can feel like we're kind of done with things. If you haven't had any big hits yet this season, it can feel like, oh, well, this was a bad season for me. Now, I know that a lot of people kind of... Overallocate expenses to the early weeks of the season. Maybe they think, okay, I'll put in a quarter of my bankroll each week or 20% of my bankroll each week, or perhaps even 40 or 50% of my bankroll each week. And you kind of run through that by week four or five. Because again, if we think about daily sports, if we think about NBA, MLB, it's not unusual to go three weeks without having a profitable tournament slate four weeks five weeks without having a profitable tournament slate. That's like two full seasons of NFL if you go five weeks in a daily sport without a profitable slate. But because NFL, we get a week between the games, people get enthusiastic at the start of the season. You have the buildup leading into the season. And so people kind of blow through their bankroll and blow through, more importantly, their energy and focus very early in the season. So keep in mind that we still have a full third of the season Remaining. Think about NFL games. Think about how rarely a game with 60 combined points at the end actually has 30 combined points at halftime. A lot of times, these games that have 60 combined points at the end of the game have 17 combined points at halftime, 14 combined points at halftime, 13 combined points at halftime, 20 combined points at halftime. The third quarter then kind of starts out with the two teams feeling out the second half. And then by the time that we're about halfway through the third quarter, or you could say two thirds of the way through the game, things really start coming together and all of a sudden the scoring picks up and things get crazy down the stretch of the game. So keep that type of thought and I guess I'll say potential structure for your DFS season in mind as you go into this week. If you're listening to the Angles podcast, if you're taking the time to listen to this podcast, even if you're listening to it at 1.5x speed, listening to it on the go, whatever the case might be, recognize that you're still putting in the time at this point in the season. Now, also recognize there's a big difference between just putting in the time and putting in focused time. I won't go through all the examples that we've used in the past, including throughout this season of the difference between doing something with focus and instead just doing something, just going through the motions, but click over into that this week. Try to give yourself a first place finish this week. Now there's an element on that, of course, of don't overthink things. Don't try to play too tight, right? But go in there confidently and aggressively and build for first place, recognizing that if you're wrong, it's okay to be wrong as long as you're positioning yourself to be all the way wrong. In other words, putting yourself in a position where if you're right, you're all the way right. Go in there again, confidently and aggressively and build toward a first place finish. And some of you are going to come out of this weekend looking a whole lot better than the field Looks when this weekend's all said and done, because so much of our competition is kind of taking things easy at this point or playing exasperatedly at this point, playing, waiting to see what's going to go wrong with their rosters at this point. And we can take advantage of that by continuing to play strong, confident, aggressive DFS play and put ourselves in position for first place finishes. It's a really interesting week this week as well. We will get to that in just a moment. Before we get to that, we have been using the Angles Podcast to highlight the missions that we've been running over the last seven weeks. I say over the last seven weeks to highlight the fact that this is the last week. We were running missions for seven weeks. Missions end at the end of week 13. Now keep in mind that if you have not done any missions so far, you can still do all of them. You can sign up for underdog. You can deposit 25 bucks and get 25 free dollars you can deposit 50 bucks and get fifty free dollars from underdog hundred bucks and get hundred free dollars from underdog we are going to have best ball content throughout the offseason this year so get that money in now when you not only get the bonus from underdog but also get the entries into the edge points missions into the OWS missions drawings that we're going to be doing in a couple weeks if you're not in Inner Circle yet, you can get entries into the drawings for being in Inner Circle. And we have added a $39 rest of season Inner Circle subscription. And then we're still, we extended the Black Friday sale another week, which makes it $19.50 for the rest of the season. And you get to renew next year at one seventy nine when new members will come in at two nineteen. dollars Join Inner Circle. You can still do that. You can still get entries into the OWS missions drawings through that. If you are in a state with live mobile sports betting, where sports betting is legal in your state, you can take advantage of deposit bonuses and get free marketplace courses and get entries into the missions drawings by going through the missions page and signing up for sports books in your state. As we highlighted, having accounts on, if you're betting at all, at all, it only makes sense to have accounts on multiple sites. It is literally unintelligent to be betting on sports and to have an account on only one site. You want to be able to shop for your best line and you want to be able to take advantage of as many deposit bonuses as you can. Add in the fact that signing up through OWS, you also get free marketplace courses. And if you sign up, before the end of Monday, you also get entries into the OWS missions drawing. So all of the missions are still open through the end of Monday. We will be collecting all of the entries and names and whatnot week 14 and through the first half of week 15 and then uh, late week 15 we will be doing the drawings for all the cool stuff we are giving away so just want to highlight that remind you check out missions again it's a lot of things that benefit you a lot of things that benefit ows so really cool stuff that we've put together there with that let's take a look at week 13 for the small handful of you who might be new to the angles podcast what we typically do in the angles podcast is run through what we call a bottom-up build, which is a roster that uses a salary cap of 44k or below, which allows us to see some of the value that's available on the slate. By value, we also want to keep in mind that we don't just mean cheap players, we also mean players who are underpriced. So some of the value that's available on the slate, but also allows us to talk through the slate as a whole as we kind of work through the bottom-up build. And talk through roster construction, roster construction strategy, roster construction approach, DFS theory. Again, these are things that we dive into deeply every week, Tuesday night on Inner Circle, but just kind of giving a sense of this every single week so that you get practice every single week with seeing what it looks like to put together rosters that are thinking about, First place rosters that are thinking about outmaneuvering the field, not just getting good players on the roster, but also putting these rosters together in such a way that we outmaneuver the field. So with that, actually, it's a very interesting slate. So uh, let's before we dive into the bottom up build, let's talk about what makes this slate so unique. So that's always the first question in the Oracle every week, which you can find in the scroll. If you're in Inner Circle, you probably read that every week. If you're not in Inner Circle, you can read the first question out of five questions. So you get 80% of the Oracle every week. But the first question is always, what makes this slate particularly unique? And my answer this week was options. This week has a lot of options, which is not something that we've seen a lot of this season and certainly not something we typically see this deep into the season, this deep into the season typically, pricing is much sharper across the board. And so what we end up with is a lot of guys who are appropriately priced or overpriced for their expected production. Now, overpriced, appropriately priced for expected production is fine, but that typically is going to keep you on track for like 170 to 190 point score. And there are going to be people in basically any tournament you find most weeks, who are able to find those rosters to put up 210, 220, 225. So we can't typically settle for the guys who are just appropriately priced or slightly overpriced. We have to be looking for those guys who can smash their price tags. So again, as we get deeper into the season... Pricing ends up stabilizing a bit more and it's harder and harder to find those types of plays. So we we have fewer of those weeks like we might see in like a week two or three or four where you could build in like 20 different ways and end up with a 220 point score because there's just enough players who are underpriced enough that there's various ways you can piece things together and still get that big type of score. So this week is kind of a throwback to earlier in the season because we have so many players who are underpriced. Now, why do we have so many players who are underpriced? It's because of injuries. And injuries not only impact the player who's absent and the player filling in for that player, but a lot of times impacts, especially if it's a big player, impacts the way that the offense is going to devise their game plan the way they're going to call their game and how condensed things get from there. So a great example is Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel has been the centerpiece of the 49ers offense. What they are designing heading into a game is built around what Debo provides and what the defense has to account for from Debo Samuel. So when we get a player like Debo Samuel who is out on a team like the 49ers that only trusts a handful of players it not only condenses the usage, but it also creates a deeper emphasis on some of these players. So one of the things that I've talked about throughout this week in the NFL Edge and touched on it slightly in the player grid as well is George Kittle. George Kittle is a player who we could see the 49ers come out and say, look, we are going to emphasize Kittle in this game. We are going to get him a bunch of short area targets with room to run. We are going to try to get him some downfield looks, and we could have one of those rare, random... 14 target George Kittle games where he blows up for 30 plus points. What's interesting about George Kittle is his big games are so few and far between, but they have happened at certain strategic intervals, whether it's a a time when a lot of people are on Kittle or a primetime game or a playoff game when everybody's paying attention to where their perception of Kittle's range of production is so different from what it really is, or it's happened to a big enough level that people who missed out on those games remember them, right? Like if Kittle puts up a 40 point game, people are going to remember that for a year or two. People people talk all the time about Chase Claypool's ceiling. Let's use this example. People talk all the time about Chase Claypool's ceiling. He hasn't shown it this year, but he's got this monster ceiling and don't overlook him. The field is overlooking him and he's underpriced now for his production or for his production capabilities, we'll say. Chase Claypool was being drafted next to Deontay Johnson. This year in best ball drafts. What is Chase Claypool? So, Chase Claypool has played 25 games in his career. Chase Claypool's third best game of his career was 24.1 DraftKings points. Chase Claypool's second best game of his career was 27 DraftKings points. These are not blow you away types of scores. And again, Third best game was 24.1. Fourth best game was 21.3. And those are the only four games in his career that he scored 20 or more DraftKings points. Chase Claypool has this huge ceiling. Well, why does everyone say that? Because Chase Claypool had a 45.6 point game last year. Seven catches for 110 yards and three touchdowns. It was in the fourth game of his career. That stands out to people. That's the type of game. And Deontay Johnson was relatively popular that week. Larejo in the uh, OWS collective that we used to put under the end around Larejo before he was a contributor on the site highlighted Chase Claypool that week, basically saying everybody's on Deontay Johnson. Think about Chase Claypool this week. So how that ends up coming together is everybody's on Deontay Johnson, the people who weren't on Deontay Johnson are paying attention to him, the people who rostered Deontay Johnson are obviously paying attention to him, and then everybody notices Chase Claypool have this huge game that's sub 2% owned or whatever it was, sub 1% owned, and that stands out to people. So from that point forward, everyone's watching for that next Chase Claypool blow-up. So Kittle is in that similar category in that he really doesn't have blowups ups That often, and far more often than not, he hurts your roster for paying up for him. The people who draft Kittle 18th overall, or 22nd overall, or 25th overall in best ball drafts or season long drafts, they end up getting buried throughout most of the season by Kittle's actual production. But the perception around him is very different. And we want to be looking for the spots when, as Zanamir often says, right? Volatile players, you want to play them when nobody's on them and you want to avoid them when everybody is on them. So a player like Kittle, we want to be thinking about him as a volatile player, but we also want to recognize that when he does hit, it can be at a high enough level that you literally had to have him in order to win on that slate. So that could be the way that the 49ers develop their game plan this week. Now, I probably won't end up on Kittle myself, but he is in my final three or four tight ends that I'm examining this week. But Kittle is something that we have to think about. Ayuk is something we have to think about. Eli Mitchell is something we have to think about. And think about, are we saying the 49ers just don't do well on offense this week and none of these guys are viable? Or they do well on offense this week, in which case one of these guys is going to significantly outproduce his salary. So again, options. Speaking of tight ends, Darren Waller is out this week. Moreau is obviously not going to go overlooked, but he's going to be playing basically 100% of the snaps. He is probably going to see five to seven targets. Again, Waller is a player not quite like Kittle, like his, his bad game is better than Kittle's bad game. But Waller rarely justifies his price tag. He typically sees seven targets. That's probably what Moreau is going to see in this game five, six, seven targets. But at 2,700, that's very much worth considering. We get condensed target distribution on this Raiders offense. Probably doesn't get spread to everybody else, but Moreau is going to step in for Waller, which gives us basically a much cheaper Waller level of of average usage to consider. J.D. McKissick is going to be out for Washington. So, Antonio Gibson becomes very interesting uh, from a standpoint of where he's priced, what his workload will be, and what his production range, expected production range is. Same thing with Jamal Williams, with DeAndre Swift out. Same thing with James Conner, with Chase Edmonds out. Same thing with Alexander Madison, with Dalvin Cook out. So as we look across this slate as a whole, uh, Alan Robinson's out again for Darnell Mooney, having, having increased target expectations. So as we look across this slate as a whole, we have a lot of players whose price tags haven't really been adjusted for the role that they're going to have on this particular week. So that gives us a potential for higher scores than we sometimes see this deep into the season and B a lot of different ways that we can approach this slate and build around this slate. So my encouragement to you and the way that I will be approaching things myself is the first thing I want to do is really identify who I feel are the best plays among these plays who are underpriced. So why I say it like that? If we have all these underpriced running backs, it's probable that at least one of them maybe two of them, maybe three of them, significantly outproduce their salary-based expectations. So if everybody is pulling from this pool of running backs, so my running back pool is Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Alexander Madison, Eli Mitchell, James Conner, Antonio Gibson, and Jamal Williams. And I might add Miles Sanders to the list if Boston Scott ends up missing this game for Philadelphia as well. So that gives us a lot of options at running back. It is highly probable that two or three of those running backs significantly outproduce their salary-based expectations. It is also highly likely that all of these running backs draw some level of ownership. So that means that no matter what tournament you're in, you are probably going to be competing against, for first place, against a roster or rosters, more than likely rosters, that get the right combination of running backs from this list. So if you're moving off of this list... You need your running back to have a better production or better point-per-dollar production than all the guys on this list. That's the only way it makes sense to move off of this list. Now, that's not saying that you can't move off of this list, and especially if you're in larger field play and playing mass multi-entry, there's a lot of justification for doing things different ways, maybe building around different game environments, trying different things— maybe taking a guy like Najee Harris, right? A guy who you would say, well, the numbers don't line up, but the usage is there. He could end up having a 35-point game that nobody is expecting. Joe Mixon's another one who's not on my list, but is probably on a lot of other people's lists. He could end up having this 40-point game, right? If Jonathan Taylor gets 26 and Eckler gets 24 and Madison and Mitchell and Connor and Gibson and Williams all get 25 or fewer, well, then that guy who puts up 40 points ends up being extremely valuable. But we have to be thinking about the fact that that this list is not going to bomb across the board. Some combination of running backs from this list is going to be a really sharp way to build. So if you're building outside of this list, you cannot be looking for running backs who are just going to match the scores from the guys on this list. You have to be looking for running backs who have, even if it's just outlier potential, who have potential to smash their price-considered expectations, and to smash compared to the running backs on this list. So my starting point then is, especially as a single-entry player, focusing on contests with 500 or fewer entries. That's where I'm going to be again this week. That's where I've been the last four or five weeks. So as that type of player, I'm probably not moving off of this list, which means that I want to dedicate a little bit of extra time to identifying which players on this list are the sharpest in my mind. Which players on this list would have the best point per dollar production over time if we played out this slate a hundred times? Like which players from this list would put up the most total points against their salary across a hundred slate sample size from this week? So that's how I'm approaching running back this week, and we'll start there on this bottom up build, and start with three guys who are all underpriced for their role for this week. None of them are super cheap plays, but all of them are value plays. And that is James Conner, Jamal Williams, and Antonio Gibson. Now, Antonio Gibson, for me, is the top play from this entire group of running backs. More than likely, Gibson is going to see most of the running back work for Washington this week. Well, he and J.D. McKissick have combined to average 21 carries and 6.3 receptions per game. Also, when game flow works out the right way, they can go well above that. In their last three games, these two players have combined to average still 6.3 receptions per game, but 29.3 carries. Now, we could say, well, Gibson's not going to see 30 carries and six catches, but he could. Right. This is still a Scott Turner offense. This is still the guy who leaned on Christian McCaffrey in this exact way for multiple years. It wouldn't be a total shock if game flow works in the right way and Gibson actually sees 25 carries and five or six catches. Gibson and Alexander Madison are probably the only guys for whom we could say that. Now, James Conner comes close, but it would take things really breaking the right way. Jamal Williams actually has potential to see that type of workload. But Jamal Williams is likely to see maybe uh, the optimal for Jamal Williams is he sees like 17, 18 carries, but eight or nine receptions. Obviously, there's a, a lot of factors in terms of how that Lions-Vikings game would play out that would dictate what Jamal Williams' exact workload looks like. But Antonio Gibson is the guy among this group with the best shot at like literally 25 carries and five or more receptions. And it wouldn't be that surprising if he sees 20 carries and six catches, which has been the average between Gibson and McKissick. Now, as I also laid out in the NFL Edge and in the player grid, in Washington Wins... Gibson and McKissick have combined to average 31.1 DraftKings points per game. Uh, Last week, they combined for 49.2 DraftKings points. Last year on Thanksgiving Day, uh, Gibson had 39.6 DraftKings points. So there is definite ceiling here. There's definite 30-plus point ceiling here. And from a pricing psychology standpoint the perception of Gibson is going to be different from what it really should be. What I mean by that is Gibson's range, like reasonable range, is about 18 to 32 points. <sighs> that's about the reasonable range of most of these guys who are 7K and above. So if Gibson were actually priced at that higher level, it would be as if DraftKings is telling us, hey, this is where he's supposed to be priced, which again would make people actually feel more comfortable pulling the trigger on him than they will feel when he's only 5,900. When he's 5,900 bunched up with all these other running backs, it feels like, oh, well, I don't know if it's this guy or this guy or this guy, or maybe we're just being sold a bag of goods on these guys and all of them are going to fail. Chalk has been failing so much lately. So Let me go to a different player. And I think that people are going to think themselves out of Gibson to a greater extent than they should. And what I mean by that is there's a clear case to be made that Gibson should be the highest owned running back on this slate. I'm not saying that he certainly should be, but I am saying that I could make that case. When we take price tag and usage expectations and matchup and talent and put everything together, talent, matchup, opportunity, and price, we put everything together, I can make a very strong case that Gibson should be the highest owned running back on the slate, and he will not be. And maybe he's going to be the fourth or fifth or sixth highest owned running back on the slate. So for me, starting point is Gibson, the workload for Connor, where he has 21 carries and five catches in in two of his last three games obviously vaults him up to this level in a game that the Cardinals should control even if Kyler Murray doesn't play this week the Cardinals should be able to be in control against the Bears now the game might play a little bit close but they should be able to be in control against the Bears to where Connor is still leaned on and is still heavily involved he also has 13 touchdowns this year so as we often talk about big plays, volume and touchdowns is where we get upside. So Connor is not a great big play threat. But from a volume and touchdowns standpoint, when we can get a two touchdown guy, that makes a huge difference. And when a guy has a shot at three touchdowns, well, I mean, that's game changing for our rosters. So James Connor is the next guy who goes onto this roster. And the next guy is Jamal Williams. And Jamal Williams is interesting because DeAndre Swift has been awesome this year and he has six touchdowns. Jamal Williams has four touchdowns of his own, so they've combined for 10, but this team just doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. This team has topped 20 points one time all season. We also know that the Vikings tend to play to their opponent. So the chances of the Vikings just unleashing their offense and jumping out to a huge lead and forcing the Lions to get ultra aggressive. And and then maybe the Lions are playing in soft defensive fronts and, and soft coverage and they end up scoring some garbage time touchdowns, right? Like that's not particularly likely. It's weird because the Vikings are such a better team than the Lions in terms of talent. But just in terms of the way that these two teams play, and we saw it play out last time when the Vikings won 19 to 17, just in terms of the way that these two teams play, it's not particularly likely that the Lions just pile up a bunch of garbage time yards and points. But Jamal Williams is going to step into this role that, you know, we saw DeAndre Swift have 33 carries and three catches when Jamal Williams missed. Now, of course, that's not what we're likeliest to see here, but these two have combined to average 21.2 carries and seven catches per game. Jamal Williams will probably be playing about 80% of the snaps. And so something like 16, 17, 18 carries and five, six, seven, eight catches is not outside the realm of possibilities. In fact, it's pretty reasonable to expect a workload like that. And if everything breaks the right way, we could see Jamal Williams having 28, 29 touches in this spot. So I'm going to go into this game expecting him to have 22, 23, 24, 25 touches. And if he gets above that, great. Now, explosiveness, same thing with James Connor. Explosiveness is not something that we're really relying on from Jamal Williams. But He is relatively efficient. He should, you know, he has regularly picked up 55, 60, 65 rushing yards on his typical 12, 13, 14, 15 carries. So if he gets a few extra carries, the chances of him getting 60, 70, 80 yards are really pretty good in this spot. But the main thing we're rostering him for is the fact that he could end up seeing six, seven, eight, nine catches, especially if the Lions fall behind, and especially because the Lions have so few other players to throw the ball to. So Jamal Williams becomes very interesting. He's he's almost like a Deontay Johnson of running backs this week. It's going to be very difficult for him to crush your rosters. also going to be difficult for him to crush people who didn't roster him. In other words, it's, it's not particularly likely that you don't play Jamal Williams and then you come back on Sunday night and say, God, I couldn't have won this week because I didn't play Jamal Williams. That would require him putting up like 28, 30 points. That actually can happen. You can run through the scenarios and that can happen. But what's likely is that, it, is that he gets to this 16, 17, 19, 22, 23 point range. Somewhere in there where you feel really good about what you got from him. But if you don't have him, it doesn't crush you. But Jamal Williams at 5,400 is very interesting this week and underpriced, right? Because when we talk about J- Jonathan Taylor... What are his chances of going for 42, 44, 45 points, which would be like the equivalent of Jamal Williams going for 28 to 30? Jonathan Taylor's chances of doing that are not particularly high either. Now, similar to Jamal Williams, Jonathan Taylor is probably going to get to 25, 27, 30, 31, 32 points maybe 35 points, which is kind of in the range of where you need him to get for his salary. Obviously, at 9K, you would love him to get at least 36 points, which is 4X his salary. But as we often talk about, as we get into the higher end of the price range, raw points matters a lot as well. So, you know, if Jonathan Taylor gets you 25, 27 points, you're going to be a little bit disappointed that you paid quite that much for that production, especially because there's so many cheaper running backs who should be able to get close to that range. But it's not going to bury your roster. You'll be perfectly happy getting 25 to 27 raw points from any player on your roster, regardless of what you spent on them. So Jonathan Taylor is kind of in that same range as Jamal Williams, just at a much higher price tag. So Jamal Williams makes a lot of sense this week, especially if there are, one of the things that I've talked about this week is positional spending. And I talked about this in one of the NFL Edge write-ups. I don't remember which one it was, but from a positional spending standpoint, you could essentially say, maybe I talked about it in the player grid, but you could essentially say, well, Jonathan Taylor can put up 30 points. Cooper Cup can put up 30 points. Which 30 points is more valuable? Well, if Cup and Taylor put up the same score as one another, Cup's score is actually more valuable this week because there are more running backs in the 5K to low 6K range with higher ceilings and higher floors, and greater certainty. So if you roster Jonathan Taylor, and he gets the same score as Cooper Cup, well, you're taking up a running back spot, and that means you're having to roster an extra wide receiver trying to make up for what you're missing from the cheaper running backs. Whereas if you roster Cooper Cup, you can still roster, technically you can still roster three running backs if you want to use the flex spot for a running back and get as many of these cheaper guys as you want. So you kind of need Jonathan Taylor to outproduce Cooper Cup this week in order for him to be a better play uh, in terms of positional spending. And, And optimally, you would need him to outproduce Cooper Cup at a significant level. So tying all of that back together to what we were just talking about, that's one of the reasons why I feel really comfortable paying down at running back, even if it's across the board even if Alexander Madison puts up 25 to 30. Now, keep in mind, right? Dalvin Cook's best game of the year is like 25.4, and that's his only game above twenty-two and a half. and a half. So Madison actually has the two best Vikings games this year. But as we explored in the NFL Edge, Madison's snap rate wasn't particularly high. I mean, it was 65, 70%. So it's not like Madison just came in and got all of the Madison plus Dalvin Cook work. He just happened to have two huge games the two times he was starting. He could obviously do that again. I like Madison a lot this week, but I'm just laying out there that he's not a, quote, must play. Jonathan Taylor is not a, quote, must play if we played out the slate 100 times, because more often than not, they're going to come close to approaching their 4X. Maybe they get 3X, maybe they get 3.5X, but they're not going to have Madison and and Jonathan Taylor, neither of them are going to have an overwhelming number of 4X plus games in this spot just because they're priced so high and their role in their offense is a particular way that it just doesn't set up for like a high percentage of 4X games in this spot. And by high percentage, I mean even that one in four times, even that 25%, right? Like I'd say both these guys, maybe 15% of the time, get to 4X plus their salary multiplier. So again, I actually don't mind just tying this into the slate as a whole. I don't mind paying down at all my running back spots and going some different directions. Now I'll also clarify that by saying I've also messed around with a lot of Madison rosters this week. I've messed around with a lot of Jonathan Taylor rosters this week. So I don't know for sure where I'm going, but I'm certainly considering sticking with this core group of these three running backs. And again, these three running backs, I like Elijah Mitchell a lot. And as I mentioned, if miles Sanders, uh, if Miles Sanders is the only back for the Eagles, I like him as well, but these are the three that I'm slotting in as the top three. And they're the three I'm likeliest to roll forward with this week. If I'm building only one roster, Antonio Gibson, James Connor, and Jamal Williams. Let's go ahead and stick with our theme of condensed usage and, Offensive game planning slash focus shifts and go to Brandon Ayuk, who I have as one of my three wide receivers on this bottom up build. Brandon Ayuk, very straightforward. I also like Darnell Mooney a lot at the exact same price tag, but very straightforward, right? The 49ers early in the year didn't use, they weren't using Ayuk. He was in the doghouse and their entire offense was Kittle, the running backs, and Debo. When Kittle was hurt, their entire offense was the backfield and Debo right this is not an offense that is just going to say this is not the saints where they're going to say hey we don't have a lot of weapons let's spread things out and let's kind of devise concepts to get different players open and attack the defense from lots of different angles and they just won't know who to defend look we don't have anybody but at least they don't know which which guys to defend and who the play is going to be drawn up for and this guy sees four targets this guy sees three this guy sees five this guy sees four this guy sees three this guy sees two this guy sees one right that's a saint's box score for you. The 49ers, they are going to concentrate their game plan on the players that they think are going to give them the best shot at winning the game. And now that Ayuk is out of the doghouse, that means that Eli Mitchell, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle are almost certainly going to be the focal points of this game plan. Brandon Ayuk is at a position where it's more valuable to guess that it's him than it is to guess that it's Kittle. And what I mean by that is... Gronk is 5,300 and requires very little guesswork. Pat Fryermuth is in the 4Ks and requires very little guesswork. Fabian, or not Fabian Moreau, Foster Moreau is 2,700 and requires very little guesswork. So Kittle is 5,900 and requires guesswork. I also require some guesswork, right? Like maybe the 49ers just run the ball all game here for as, as long as they can and as much as they can. And maybe they involve Kittle heavily instead of Ayuk. But wide receiver, especially wide receiver outside of Cooper Cup, comes with so many question marks. I should say outside of Cooper Cup, the Bucks wideouts and Deontay Johnson. Uh, and and the Bucks wideouts and Deontay Johnson, that's not really ceiling guesswork so much as certainty guesswork. And what I mean by that is it's going to be rare that Mike Evans is going to top like 32 or 33 points, which would be kind of blowing away his salary multiplier. It's going to be even more rare that Godwin does that. It's going to be rare that Deontay Johnson does that. But all of these guys can get you 22 to 28 points, which is phenomenal at their price tag, especially at wide receiver at this point in the season. But outside of that kind of group of wide receivers, Cup and those guys, we're really just down to guesswork at wide receiver. And so if everybody else is guessing with lower chances of being right, I'm willing to take on the guesswork on Ayuk, whereas on Kittle, right, like Kittle's maybe almost as likely as Ayuk to be the focal point of the passing attack this week. But because there's so much certainty randomly, so much certainty at the tight end position this week, uh, the guesswork on Kittle is a little less valuable, a little bit more risky considering what else is available at the position. So Brandon Ayuk is the guy who stands out to me from this offense. Again, I really like Eli Mitchell this week, but on this particular roster, I'm using these other three running backs. So not only does Ayuk give me exposure to this condensed offense, but I'm also, since I'm not using Eli Mitchell on this roster, I'm basically able to say, okay, hopefully The three running backs I'm rostering outscore Eli Mitchell, and hopefully part of the reason for that is that Eli Mitchell is slightly disappointing this week, and part of the reason for that is because Brandon Ayuk is scoring the points instead of Mitchell scoring the points. So again, it ties this story together nicely. None of these players are low-owned players so far, but... What we are getting is a roster that tells a cohesive story. We feel like, for me, I feel like I'm getting the three best running backs, the three highest certainty running backs, highest floor-ceiling combo running backs of the bunch, especially price-considered. And then I feel like with Ayuk, I'm playing off of the fact that I don't have Eli Mitchell, and I feel like I'm doing my guesswork properly from this 49ers offense. So Brandon Ayuk at 5,600 is the next guy we're slotting in here. Before we wrap up with quarterback and the other two wide receivers, let me swing over to tight end real quickly where I went ahead and put in Rob Gronkowski on this roster. Now, the obvious way to build a bottom-up build this week, the obvious way to build a roster with 44K in salary cap is to roster Foster Moreau at only 2,700. That's part of the reason I'm going to Gronk here. If we are talking about DFS theory, if we're talking about roster construction aiming for first place, if everybody's paying down in the position and everybody's concentrating that pay down bet on the same player, and obviously Moreau will probably see him like 12, 15% owned in the Millimaker. And as we get into smaller field tournaments, higher dollar tournaments, single entry, so on and so forth, he'll probably, I would guess, get up to 22, 25%. I could be off on that, but I think that as we get into uh, single entry, People are going to have a harder and harder time moving away from Moreau because they'll say, look, he's 2,700. How much can he hurt you at 2,700? So then that means that in a bottom up build scenario where we have 44K in salary cap, there would be even that many more people paying up for or paying down for Foster Moreau and that many fewer people paying up for Rob Gronkowski. Now, a side note here I actually think this is one of the rare, rare weeks in which you could justify two tight ends even in larger field play. And the reason for that is if you compare Moreau to the Moreau's only 2,700. If you compare Moreau to the other wide receivers below 4K, he's not necessarily an underdog to outscore those wide receivers. If we take nine different wideouts who are under 4K and then add Moreau to that pile we have 10 players, Well, Moreau's got a better than 10% shot at beating all of those players this week. In other words, being kind of the most valuable pay-down guy, regardless of position. Now let's swing over to Gronk. This is pretty interesting. Now, I laid this out in the uh, NFL Edge, and this is also in the player grid this week. But let's take a look at this right here. We just talked about Evans and Godwin. We just talked about them being two of the sharpest wide receiver plays. What is Evans' average points per game this year? 17. What is Godwin's average points per game this year? 17.4. What is Gronk's average points per game in his five healthy games? 18.8. Gronk has outscored both Evans and Godwin. Gronk has more yards per game than Evans and Godwin. Godwin. Gronk has more catches per game than Evans. Gronk has more touchdowns per game than Godwin. He is barely behind Godwin in catches per game. He is barely behind Evans in touchdowns per game. So, Gronk at 5,300 compared to Evans and Godwin in the high 6Ks, and we're already talking about Evans and Godwin being two of the better wide receiver plays on this slate, you can make a case that Gronk is the best Low 5K's pass catcher this week, wide receiver or tight end. Now, obviously, Ayuk is in that mix, and Darnell Mooney's in that mix, and Odell Beckham's in that mix. And there are some other guys in this range who could put up a big game, but Gronk can legitimately put up a 30 point game. We've seen him do it this year. He put up a 29 point game already. He's put up multiple games in the high teens or low 20s. And when we compare him to the other wide receivers kind of priced in this range, you could make a very clear case that Gronk is actually a better play than those guys. So I actually don't mind a Gronk plus Moreau pairing. Now, one of the main reasons why I'm not doing that is because when we take the slate as a whole, I feel like running back is an even stronger position. Like I'd rather pay 5,400 for Jamal Williams and 5,300 for Gronk than be kind of boxed out of that by saying, well, I'm going to play Moreau and, and now I'm going to play Gronk because I can't play Jamal Williams. And it's just that the, the floor and ceiling at running back with the way that these, these, uh, players set up is just so nice, right? Like Gronk could come out and have an eight point game. Whereas we really can't say that about jamal williams it would be outside of him getting injured just because of his pass game role and the way that the lions offense functions it would be very difficult for jamal williams to come out and have an eight point game swing over to gibson and connor we've seen gibson put up a 40 point game in his last you know 16 17 games we've seen connor put up a 40 point game in his last three games we've seen gibson plus mckissick top 40 points just last week. So Gibson could actually put up a 35 or 40 point game, which again, Gronk probably can't do that. So I would prefer to use my flex spot for a running back this week, especially for me playing, you know, contests with under a thousand entries. But even in larger field play, I think that the case can be made this week for going two tight ends, especially if the two tight ends you're using are Gronk and Moreau or Kittle and Moreau or technically Kittle and Gronk, although that takes on a lot more guesswork and you really need Kittle to have one of his 35 or 40 point games in addition to Gronk having one of his 30 point games. But that it's an interesting way to play around with things this week. And, and I highlight all of that just because we have such a hard and fast rule on full slates of don't play two tight ends because it's so rarely optimal. Uh, again, I won't be going there this week, but I think it's a more interesting consideration than it typically would be. So on this roster, I have Rob Gronkowski instead of paying down at Foster Moreau, hoping that now now, given the gap in salary, we really need Gronk to outscore Moreau by about 10 points. He's 2.6K more expensive. What's interesting, though, is Gronk can actually outscore Moreau by 15 or 20 points. That's not the likeliest scenario, but it can happen because Moreau can end up getting six catches for 50 yards five catches for 50 yards like Waller has a lot of stat lines like that this year it's not like you know Moreau scored a touchdown the last time he played and so the last time he started so he got up over 18 points and that kind of stands out to people people look at that and it's like oh this guy he's 2700 he can score 18 points but what people don't realize is his likeliest output is probably more like 10 to 12 points so, if he scores 10 to 12 and Gronk scores 20 to 22, well, you know, it, it, it was justifiable to make this move. But what we need to realize is that Moreau can actually score 8, 10, 12 points and Gronk could score 25 to 30. And if that happens, you gain a huge edge, taking take away sc- salary even, but just the positional advantage of having that many extra points at this position where everybody's just kind of boxed into playing, you know, one player at this position. You gain a huge positional edge from like a big Gronk game in this spot. So Gronk becomes very interesting on this bottom-up build to me, and that obviously allows us to talk through the tight end position in a more nuanced and and full-scope manner than we're able to in the player grid. Uh, And that brings us to the final three offensive pieces on this roster, which are Derek Carr, Brian Edwards, and Zay Jones. Now, I wouldn't advise playing Brian Edwards plus Zay Jones in a non-bottom-up build unless you're mass multi-entering. Now, these guys could legitimately combine for 35-plus points. That could happen. But it probably won't. And that's why I say in large field, mass multi-entry play, you're trying to win the Millie Maker, who else is going to have Zay Jones and Brian Edwards paired together except you? So then if they do hit, you're soaring past the field. Both of these guys are on the field all the time, I think that the Raiders had 87 snaps last week. Uh, I think Zay Jones played 60 snaps and Brian Edwards played 63 if I have that correct. it was somewhere in that range. so both of these guys are on the field a lot more than likely they're going to combine for seven, eight, nine targets. And that's going to make it tough for you to get up over 30 points. But there are scenarios, there are ways that this game could play out in such a way that these guys combine for 12 or 13 targets. Or ways that this game could play out so that these guys combine for two touchdowns. Each guy scores a touchdown. There are outlier scenarios in which these guys combine for 13 targets and score three touchdowns. And that's maybe a once every 100 games, twice every 100 games type of scenario. But what's interesting here is we didn't play Moreau. But we're still wanting the Raiders to put up points in this spot. We kind of explored this this week, but Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick have combined to average about 21 points in losses and about 31 points in wins. But that's kind of some small sample size noise there. Same thing with Carr. Like, Carr has all these huge games in wins and all these bad games in losses. But a lot of the... Like, at least three of the Raiders' wins could just as easily have been losses. And a lot of these... Uh, Washington games where McKissick and Gibson have combined for big scores. Well, they were close games. So what we really need isn't necessarily which one of these teams wins so much as we want this game to be higher scoring, but not kind of have one team pull away too quickly. So we want it to be higher scoring with the game staying relatively close. If we can get a game like a 31 to 27 game or something like that, it really doesn't matter which team wins. We've got a pretty good shot at Carr, having one of the better quarterback scores in the slate, especially from a point-per-dollar perspective. And we have a pretty good shot at Gibson being the top or one of the top point-per-dollar running backs on the slate. So what I'm essentially betting on here is a game plan, in is a game setup in which the Raiders keep Moreau in to block a little bit more. Moreau maybe has five catches for 35 yards. The scoring keeps piling up in this game. And what we end up with is the Raiders passing because they're a passing team and because Washington is a pass funnel defense. But Moreau, not being the guy who sees a lot of the work, obviously Renfro is going to see some work, but he could easily end up with six catches, seven catches, right? He doesn't have to have 10, 11, 12 catches. And then maybe Deshaun Jackson gets one or two catches, but maybe Edwards and Zay Jones end up being more focal points here. And so we're taking away points from Moreau By playing Edwards and Zay Jones. In other words, in a scenario where these two hit, they are taking away points from Moreau. And then we're further capitalizing on that by paying up for Rob Gronkowski, who's the one guy that we really feel confident can just blow past moreau with like a 25 to 30 point game so basically what we're betting on here is it's a it's a we're threading a thin needle because as i said there's very few scenarios where brian edwards and zay jones combine for 30 plus points but their combined ownership is going to be even lower than the chances of that happening and if it happens we also have moreau disappointing If it happens, we, in a game where Antonio Gibson's also hitting, this is all setting up perfectly to where Carr is also having a big game, and... If this happens and Gronk has his big game, we get this huge separation between the Gronk rosters and the Moreau rosters by paying up a tight end in a spot where everybody else is paying down. So we're basically attacking those Moreau rosters from several different angles, saying, look, let's bet on Moreau having like a six, seven, eight point game and take all of the advantages that can come from that. Not not betting on another cheap tight end and hoping this guy gets 12 points, but betting on the guy who can outscore Moreau by... 20 points in this scenario, and betting on the wide receivers who could be taking away those points from Moreau. So that gives us offensive pieces on this roster of Derek Carr at quarterback, James Connor, Jamal Williams, and Antonio Gibson at running back, Brandon Ayuk, Brian Edwards, and Zay Jones at wide receiver, Rob Gronkowski at tight end. If you are building along at home or tallying up the salary at home, you know that we now have... 3,300 in salary left over, which is very intentional because that gets us the Dolphins defense, top defense on the slate with Mike Glennon under center. We're doing enough different on this roster from a ownership standpoint and a construction standpoint that we can feel very comfortable taking the most popular defense on the slate or what should be the most popular defense on the slate in the Dolphins. And again, that gives us Carr at quarterback paired with Zay Jones and Brian Edwards, uh, running backs of James Conner, Jamal Williams, and Antonio Gibson. Brandon Ayuk as our last wide receiver Rob Gronkowski at tight end and the Dolphins defense with that go ahead and check out the missions page you've got a couple days left three days left get in there and complete some of these missions get entered into these drawings most of these missions take five minutes to complete some of them even less than that. So you can win free OWS for life. That includes Inner Circle. You can win free all-access marketplace passes, free marketplace courses, free one-on-one coaching with me, with Hilo, with Zandamir, with Mike Johnson. Uh, And again, helps OWS and probably more importantly helps you. These deposit bonuses with Underdog, with sports books. that's just free money that you can take advantage of. And again, you get edge points as you do that. Edge points also earns you entries into the drawings and edge points buys you free marketplace courses. You deposit on two sports books and you can almost buy three free marketplace courses. So that's like another $120 worth of free training content that you can get, uh, in addition to the deposit bonuses from sportsbooks. So I strongly, 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 how many times can we go encourage you to check out the missions page, uh, do that tonight, do that this weekend, do that Monday, do that at some point before missions end, write it down on your daily planner, write it down in your phone notes, write it down in your calendar, set a reminder, whatever you have to do and take advantage of missions before missions end with that. We will call it a week. Thanks, as always, for hanging out. I will see you on the site throughout the weekend, and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.